0: Well, church family, as we return to our seats, I just want us to remember that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Who in this room has begun to enjoy their everlasting life in the now? That's not the response I want to hear. Who in this room has begun to enjoy their eternal life now? Yeah. When we become children of God, eternal life begins at that moment. And when we die, it's just the threshold into living an eternal life with Jesus. In many ways, our eternal life has already begun. Welcome everybody, man, I'm excited to open God's Word with you. Uh, My name is Eric, I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, I have no greater joy in my uh, calling than to open up the Bible and to preach from it. Uh, We know that God is alive, He's at work, and He is instructing us. We've been talking about a series the last few weeks called Encounter Jesus, because we are of the belief that God is still in the business of encountering people. We're still of the belief that God is not in his heavenly throne room with his feet up, looking from afar and keeping us at arm's length. We are of the belief that God came down to this earth to do what we could not do for ourselves. And he continues to come on down and meet us in our everyday lives. Yeah, we can clap to God for that. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about the ways that God in particular meets us in specific situations and scenarios in life. We've talked about how God meets us in our grief, how he meets us in our doubt. These are two very emotional places in life where sometimes we feel like God is the furthest from us, but we also have seen that God has a way of saying, no, no, I'm actually right here with you. And today we're going to talk about how God has a way of meeting us in our regret. In our regret. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you feel like you've failed so immensely that you're finished? That God is done with you? That things are over, that you've got to find a new way of going about things? Today I want to propose to you a simple statement. I want to propose to you that God's not done with you even when you are done with you. There are times in our lives where we feel like we have disqualified ourselves from being used by God. If that's you today, God's not done with you, though you might be done with you. Maybe you feel like this is the case because you feel like you've let God down. And I want you to know that sometimes it's not just that you feel like you've let God down, Sometimes it's because you actually have let God down. That's something that oftentimes that doesn't ring too well in our ears. Like, Pastor, lift me up here for a moment. No, but let's be real honest. You and I let God down. God is gracious and loving, but that doesn't mean we can't hurt his heart. That doesn't mean we can't quench God's Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that God doesn't grieve over our choices, our words, and our actions. We have done and do things that let God down. And because of that, sometimes we then, though, feel that we are disqualified. That, though, is not a necessary conclusion that follows letting God down. I want you to understand that God is a God who is gracious. The word grace shows up a lot in the Bible. And a lot of us don't understand grace, and that's why we oftentimes feel very guilty when we think about God. We feel like God is mad at us, and we feel like we're done with. We have to understand this. Grace came at a cost, okay? God's grace didn't come freely. It's offered freely, but His grace was purchased by the blood of Jesus. We also need to understand God's grace transforms us. So when we feel like, and we actually have let God down... Grace says, yes, God is merciful, but learn from your failure and don't go back to that place. Grace tells us that guilt is not all bad. Hear me. We want to alleviate that feeling of guilt. But you need to understand there's a place for guilt in your life because guilt does something important. You know what it does? It points you to Jesus. It it brings you to the place where the Bible calls repentance, where you turn away from your sin. Grace also then tells us that when we come to God, he says, I forgive you after we've sinned against him. I got one person here with me. All right? All right? Like, this is important. Because a lot of times we feel like God's done with us because we've failed But then we've misunderstood the offer God has put on the table. And he's saying, when you have failed, come to me. And when you come to me in your brokenness and your shame and your guilt, I will forgive you. And then at that point, shame and guilt has no business with you. Because I had taken care of it. This is what God has done. God's not done with you even when you're done with you. Or in other words, guilt, guilt has a lock. But God's got the key. Today, we're going to look at somebody who was filled with guilt and regret. Who stood in the very shoes you and I stand in when we have screwed up. When we have let God down. When the Holy Spirit has put in our heart to not go to that place. And we quench the Spirit, put Him aside, and go. You've ever done that? You've ever sensed in your heart that God is saying, speak up for me right now and you have found every reason to not do it yes. you've ever had a time where God saying speak up for injustice because I'm a God who is just and in for fear of what people will think of us we've stood silent or maybe like the person we're going to look at today you have flat out denied that you follow Jesus when the pressure was too heavy you see, guilt has a way of locking us up, but God has a key for us. And today we're going to look at a person who was in the pit of his faith, who had fallen so far from where he never thought he'd fall, and now is stuck in a rut, doesn't know what to do. And there at that place, Jesus encounters him. Would you open your Bibles to the book of John chapter 21? The Bible, as we saw in that video, is a complete story. An Old Testament, which is filled with 39 books, and a New Testament, which is filled with 27 books. A Testament simply means a covenant. There is an Old Covenant that God dealt with his people, and then in the New Covenant, Jesus comes on the scene and brings about a new way. And the story throughout the Old and New is that God is a God who redeems people. We come to the Book of John, which is the fourth book of the New Testament. And there is a Bible in the chair in front of you, a blue Bible. We're on page 907, if you would meet me there. Would you stand to your feet, please, as I read this scripture from John chapter 21? It's a little bit of a long passage. I want to read it all. Um, One reason, because it's God's word. Second reason, it's living and active. And a third reason, it's sharper than any two-edged sword and will pierce you in our hearts. And so let's read it for those very reasons. After this, that's after what happened last week when Jesus revealed himself to Thomas after he rose from the dead. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which are John and James, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Can you say, I am going fishing? I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? 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 (laughs) They answered him, no, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15. When, G- when they had finished the breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord. I said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he'd said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. Father in heaven, I pray that you would speak through me, Lord, that your word would come forth in power, in passion, and with great persuasion, not by my abilities, but by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, and be lifted high, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated, family. It says Jesus appears to them yet again. Another time at the Sea of Tiberias, which is another word for the Sea of Galilee. Seven of the disciples were there. And Peter tells them something extremely important. He says to them, I am going fishing. And the disciples said what to him? Let us join you. So here, the seven disciples show up in a boat, ready to go fishing. This is a very innocent kind of act. After all, Peter was a trained fisherman, as were James and John, probably some of these other guys. And in the first century, uh, especially near the Sea of Galilee, this is how people fed themselves. They simply went out, caught fish, and they ate it. But, you know, what's so remarkable to me, as we see this story begin to unfold, is I can't help but read between the lines here when, Jesus, when uh, Peter says, I am going fishing. Let me tell you a little bit about Peter one of Jesus' disciples, often viewed as the the leader of the disciples. It was this Peter, some three and a half years earlier, that was out in a boat and had caught nothing while fishing. It was this Peter that Jesus said, Hey, um, I see you on the seashore here washing your nets, but I'm going to tell you, go back in your boat and cast your net out and you're going to catch a big catch of fish. It was this Peter that said to Jesus, Lord, we have worked all night and have caught nothing. And kind of like, we're cleaning our net. Like, I'm not trying to get back out there. But it's this Peter who says, Lord, but for you, I'll do this. It's this Peter who went out into the Sea of Galilee some three and a half years earlier, put his net out there and caught such a a large catch of fish, he needed to bring in the other boat to help them haul it in. And it's this Peter that says to Jesus at that moment, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And Jesus tells him, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Is this Peter we're talking about, who then it says, He left his net and followed Jesus. It's that Peter whom we find three and a half years later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, back on the Sea of Galilee with the nets that he had left behind. It's the same Peter who had a really bad week, to say the least. So on the Thursday before Jesus was crucified, the day before, is this Peter that tells Jesus, Jesus, I will never deny you. I will die for you. On Thursday, he says this. And Jesus tells him, before the rooster crows the next morning, you will have denied me three times. It's this very same Peter who a few hours later is in the garden of Gethsemane with Jesus and falls asleep when Jesus tells him to pray. And then when he wakes up, he pulls out his sword, cuts off the ear of someone else who's trying to arrest Jesus. Is this Peter we're talking about. This is a pretty bad day so far. It's this Peter who goes on and follows Jesus as he's arrested and is warming himself by a fire when a servant girl says, aren't you one of his followers? And Peter's like, I don't know this man. Three different times. Don't you know Jesus? And even once it says Peter cursing said, no, I don't know him. And as one of the gospels says, that moment, the rooster crows, Jesus looks across the courtyard, makes eye contact with this Peter. And then he says he left and wept bitterly on Friday, is that Peter we're talking about, who three times denies Jesus after a few hours earlier saying, I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. By this point, Peter had seen Jesus raised from the dead, but here Peter is back in a boat, and what appears to be so innocent makes me think it's not so innocent, and then in addition to that, it says they fished all night and caught what? Nothing. Nothing. Family, here's something important I want you to understand. From what we can see here and what follows in this narrative, Peter was a man who had spoken highly of his faith and failed miserably when it was put to the test. And it was this Peter who, although he saw the resurrected Jesus, did not seem to believe that Jesus could resurrect him. I don't think you heard me there, family. Here is a Peter who saw Jesus Alive after being crucified, but did not believe that Jesus could make him alive again. Peter returns to the boat because his regret led him to retreat. He went back to the thing that Jesus had called him from and given him a new calling. And very likely, because of his failure, returns back to it. Family, there are too many times in our lives that we feel like and we know we have let God down and we do what Peter does. We retreat like a dog who has been guilty of doing, you know what, in the living room and runs away with his tail between his legs. We go into hiding, just like Peter, and he gets back onto the Sea of Galilee. His regret caused him to retreat. He felt like he was disqualified from being able to make a kingdom impact. I don't know. What's going on in your life? But I suspect in a room like this, there are some of you who are here today who feel like, yes, you know you are a child of God, but you feel like God cannot use you anymore because of what you've said, what you've done, or what you're doing. You feel like God is done with you. But as I told you already, God's not done with you, though you might be done with you. Too many of us retreat. Too many of us go for backsliding and opposed to forward rising. See, Peter had a choice in his sin. He could either retreat back to fishing or come before his Savior saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me and give me life afresh. See, a lot of times we don't come to God in our shame or guilt because we don't feel like we deserve it. And the answer is, you don't deserve it but God never did anything based on what you and I deserved. In fact, yours and my failures are an opportunity for God's forgiveness to be on display, for God's restoration to be put out before the world around us. But our fear, our guilt, and shame causes us to retreat, and we withhold that opportunity for someone else in our shoes to see what God could do through a broken heart. Surrender to Jesus. And here Peter is thrown in the towel. I need you to understand something. There's nothing wrong with fishing. There's nothing wrong with your careers. What was wrong was not the what of what he was doing, but the how of what he was doing. See, some of us need to understand this. God has placed you where you're at. That's the what. But the how of what you're going to do what you're doing is a whole other ballgame. The how you do it, is as a representative of Jesus who has a calling on your life. As somebody I heard once say, you are a plumber who is creatively disguised. You you are truly a missionary who is disguised as whatever you are, a school teacher, a medical practitioner, a machinist, a homemaker, a saleswoman, a police officer. You are that, but truly you're just a missionary disguised as that. For Peter, there wasn't a sense that he's like, God, I got this calling on my life. Peter was retreating. Some of us might be here today retreating. He says, I'm going fishing. I love what Jesus does. He sees them from the shore. He says, what have you guys caught? And they're like, nothing. And it's like, Jesus knew that. But what Jesus is doing here, he's causing them to acknowledge That what they're doing isn't working out so well. It's like God is looking at them like, how's that going for you, what you're doing by yourself there? How's that retreating, working on your own plan, how's that working for you right now? How's that going back to your old ways of living, working for you, family? How's that old relationship you know is dirt and is dangerous for you? How's going back to that working out for you? How, how, How are those old addictions that you turn back to because of your regret, how's that working out for you? How's that abandoning of your faith and going into other worldviews? How's that working out for you when you're at home at night filled with your guilt and shame? How's that dealing with your sin problem? See, Jesus is there like saying, like, hey, look, what's this, what's this doing for you? And the disciples don't know what's going on. Like, hey, we've caught nothing. And the moment Jesus says, hey, cast out your net, John's like, we've heard that before. They put out that net. They catch the fish. I love how it says Peter jumps out of his boat. He leaves these dudes hanging. It's like, they could probably use his strength to help pull in those 153 fish. Somebody once said, they're trying to look for reason and image behind, why the number 153? You want to know why that number? Because every fisherman counts as many fish as they catch. They catch a fish this big, right? You know how much bragging rights they had there? This was a real ordeal. And here they come, they realize it's Jesus Peter runs to him. But then there's this moment of decision for Peter. Jesus says to him in verse 15, and this is where I want us to understand. Peter tried to hide, like maybe some of us today are trying to hide. But as I said, sin's got the lock, but God's got the key. And Jesus pulls out the key, and the key is a question. Simon son of Jonah, son of John in verse 15, do you love me more than these? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now this name, Simon, son of John, that might seem like, oh, that's, that's just, that's who who's dad, his dad is, John. That's how we identify him from another pe- person. But in this book of John, the last time Jesus refers to him as Simon, son of John, is in John chapter 1 when Jesus changes his name. He says, I will call you Cephas or Peter, which means rock, We find out later, Jesus says, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. I will use you to go become a fisher of men, and I will build my church on your ministry. And so from that moment in John 1 to this moment, Jesus doesn't call him Simon, son of John, but Simon Peter. But here he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I wonder, and even in that term, Jesus said, hey, Simon, do you remember what I did for you beforehand? Do you remember that calling I put on your life? Do you think that that is revocable because of your failure? Do you think that you slipped so far that you no longer are able to be used in my hand? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus asks a question against Peter's heart because you know what? Peter's failure, denying Jesus three times, called into question his love for Jesus. John 14, 15 says, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And here Peter denied him before man. And Jesus is like, do you love me? And, so, and I, I read this, I'm like, Jesus, what you got to do that for? You, I know that hurt him. He doesn't just ask him once, not twice, but how many times, fam? Three times. Peter, uh, Jesus, why you got to go ahead and do that to him? Because with each question, you hear Peter's painful response. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I messed up, Jesus. But you know I love you. And here, Peter is struggling here. And as I was thinking about it, why would Jesus do this? Why would he kind of put that thing there and keep twisting it in his heart? Well, Jesus asks Peter three times because it's three times Peter denied Jesus. And it's like Jesus saying, For every time you deny me, I need you to hear something. Go and feed my sheep. Go and feed my sheep. Continue the calling I put on your life. Yeah, you fell. Yeah, you messed up. But I still got work to do with you. We wish that Jesus would just say that to us without asking the question, do you love me? We wish that God would not expose the rebellion in our heart, the failures of our past. The choices of our present. God, don't reveal that. Just, just give me a new start. And God's like, no. That new start can't come unless we deal with what's happened. And Peter is there in pain. And Jesus is like, it's all right. I, I, I got you here. See, I opened up this message saying some of us feel like we've let God down. And I said a lot of us feel that way because the truth is a lot of us have let God down. And what Jesus does here, he wants to do for you and I. He wants to get into your heart saying, why did you do that? What's going on in your heart? And then they ask you, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says to Jesus in verse, there in verse 17, you know everything. You know that I love you. Peter comes to just say, Jesus, you are omniscient. You are all-knowing. You see into this heart. You see how messed up it is. And that's what Jesus says one more time. Feed my sheep. You see, family, we've all got to do some fishing, some feeding as well. I don't know the kind of call God has put on your life, and I don't know the choices you've made that may have caused you to feel like that's no longer possible, but you've got to understand something. You are alive today for a reason. There is breath in your lungs for a reason, and God is not done with you, although you are done with you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The pain hurts. I was thinking, uh, not long ago, our son, Levi, would go to bed complaining that his legs hurt. And he's like, Bobby, my feet hurt. My legs are hurting me. I'm like, what are, man, are you an old man? Why are you in so much pain? And after Eric and I were talking, I'm like, you know what? Because I and Lucas used to say the same thing when they were about his age. And then we blink and look back, and they're like three inches taller. And so now we're like, Levi... You're growing, dude. You're growing, and it's gonna hurt. But I know that you wanna get bigger, don't you? You you want to be able to do the things you see older kids doing athletically, physically. And with that, though, means you're gonna have some growing pains. There is no growth without the pain. And so now when we look at Levi's pain, it's like we're not panicking, like, man, we gotta get to the doctor. No, we just know, hey. This is the process from growing as a child to one day a youth to an adult. I think you hear what I'm saying here, family. See, God's like, look, your failure is painful. Your failure is painful, and it hurts. But God has a way of taking that pain and saying, I'm going to use that to mature you in ways that you can never dream of. Not only am I not done with you, I still can use you in ways that surpass your wildest imaginations. Let's fast forward into Peter's life here. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up now, restored back to God, encouraged in his faith, bold as ever before, and stands up and says, this Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead, and all who believe in him will be saved. And you want to know how many people trust Jesus that day? 3,000 people come to Jesus through the message of this man who was hiding in his regret. Through the message of this person who retreated in his shame. Jesus is like, I can surpass what you're going to do. But at the same time, Jesus is like, but it ain't going to be easy, Peter. He says in verse 18, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Jesus is speaking in a parable right now. But then John gives us an insight. He says, this he said to show by what kind of death he would glorify God. Jesus is telling Peter, look, I'm going to restore you back to fellowship with me. I'm going to put my calling still still on you, but do know it's going to come hard. It's going to be difficult. He said, when you're young, you used to do whatever you want. But as you get older, it means in the future, in the near future, some things are going to happen to you, Peter. Someone's going to stretch out your hands. They're going to dress you and lead you to where you don't want to go. Well, church history tells us something important about Peter. That under the, under the reign of Emperor Nero in the Roman Empire around the year 8064, Peter was arrested in Rome. And he was convicted of the crime of Christianity. And his arms were stretched out on a crossbeam. And he was clothed with that wooden beam on his shoulders. And he was let out as his Savior was let out and crucified. This Peter. So Jesus tells him Peter, it ain't going to be easy. But then he says there in verse. 19, the last two words. Follow me. Follow me. Family, I just want us to hear this. There are some of us here today, man, Just you need to know God's saying follow me. My calling's never been revoked. You are still a fisher of men and women. You are still a feeder of the sheep. You are still a follower of Jesus. But what you need to do is understand God's grace. The grace that came at a cost, the grace that wasn't free, but the grace that takes your guilt and shame and brings forgiveness and says that guilt, that shame is gone. That's our Jesus. That's our God. All this happened to Peter because he was encountered by the living Jesus in his regrets. If Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, there is no story like this for Peter. He is a fisherman to the day he dies without a call. Let me put this in some comic book terms for some of y'all, because that's how I think a lot of us understand. See, Peter got back on his feet because he came to see the true Iron Man, okay? And Peter gives this story to us here through John because God wants you to marvel, all right? Sin has created a civil war in our soul and has separated us from God. But our God is the guardian of the galaxy. He is the avenger of his righteous plan. Jesus is the great physician, the doctor of the sick, the doctor for the guilty, the doctor of the strange and the estranged from God. Jesus is the author and perfecter. He is the captain of this earth. And he's a captain of America, family. He's a captain of creation. And we can't keep this low key, family. At the cross, Satan thought he had won the infinity war. But little did he know, on three days later, God dropped the end game, family. Yeah. Sin's got the lock, but God's got the key. You might be done with you, but God's not done with you. Because at Calvary, God took your sin and he took your shame. He took your guilt and put it on his shoulders. And the wrath of God that you deserve was poured on Jesus. He was placed in the grave and at three days he would raise. And he would raise to give you victory. And to say, my calling will not fail. My work in your life will not fail. He who began a good work in you will complete it. So no matter how far you've gone, God can reach for you there. No matter how lost you are, your God can reach you there. There's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do that separates you from the love of God. We need some people who are going to stand up for God's glory and say, Lord, I know you got a plan. I've failed you. But God, I believe you can bring me back. Jesus is still encountering people today, family. He is still changing lives today, family. And I want to get this extra personal with you because I want to invite two people to come on the stage right now. Gabby and Joanne, would you come on up? Because Jesus is still encountering people. And I want you to know how he encountered this couple. I want you to see how he encounters people, whether it's in your grief whether it's in your doubt, whether it's in your regret, whether it's in your mess, that you can never slip too far from the hand and power of God. What's up, guys?
1: Pastor, we love Jesus. <laughs> we love him.
0: Man. We, we want to give you an example of what this looks like. Gabby and Joe are, are, are great friends of ours and many of us here at the Brook. Many of you don't know where they once were. And what you're about to hear today is going to be so off the wall that you're going to say they're lying. But they ain't lying. No. I and I want our church family to hear from where God rescued you. Can you give us a sneak peek of what was life like before you met
2: Jesus? Guys, I'm, I am super nervous right now, so <laughs> just just got my back. <laughs> Um, As a a child, um, you know, for those who don't know me, you know, my name is Gabby. I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. Um, As a child, um, my family were going through many problems that I didn't understand at that point. Um, I began, you know, to be an angry child, got into troubles at school and the street, started smoking weed at a very early age. But at the same time, I, I was involved in many sports. That was my passion. I love sports. I used to play any single sport. Volleyball, basketball, football. Uh, that was my favorite one, football. Actually, um, one of my um, fullback uh, lead, my running back, he's right here with me. Thank you, Santos. You know, <laughs> for support. That's why. Uh, he, he saw my life from being on the bottom to go up. Um, so... After uh, when I got into high school, uh, I got an accident. Uh, I had a part-time job at Kmart, and I have an accident uh, that just broke me apart. You know, it just broke my my jaw in pieces, dislocated shoulder, dislocated hip. Um, no scheme in my body at all. Um, I was in an elevator. Uh, well, who, whoever want to. One more details? Let me know. I, I can tell you later. Um, so um, my sport life ended. I I couldn't play no more football. Um, the doctor, uh, he said, you know, you, you're going to be here for six months on recovery. Um, just many stuff that you can get um, back um, for, um, you know, get better. So um, I was out in a month from the hospital, I was back on school in a month from, from the hospital, wheelchair, but I was there, um, but I started getting um, prescribed uh, pills, so I was devastated, you know, I can't play football, that's the only thing that I knew other than going to school and smoke weed, so what I do, I start smoking more weed, I start um, drinking more pills of what the prescription said, so I got addicted to that. Um, and to all that um mess, um, I met the love of my life, Joanna. Yeah.
1: So I wish I can say that I, I was Gabby's rescuer and I helped him and you know, when we met, but I was as messed up as he was, unfortunately. So a little bit of background on me. I was born here, raised here in Chicago. Um, I come from a single parent home. And that parent was my dad. Um, My mom left us at a very, very early age. And because of that, um, I struggled with a lot of uh, rejection, the feeling of rejection, abandonment, not uh, of the feeling of not being loved, um, blame. Like, I I didn't know what was happening, why it was happening. She was in and out of our lives, um, but she was never a constant. So growing up into a, a teenager, I became very rebellious um and got into a lot of trouble um and we overwhelmed my sister and I my dad was raising three kids by himself and we overwhelmed him to the point where um he said you know Joe you got to go to Puerto Rico with your grandmother and I was like what um so there goes that that rejection again it was a very deep deep hurt i didn't understand that my dad was trying to do what was best for me at that point um, so I went and I, and I, and I started living at my grandmother's house and my goodness, that, that, that feeling of, of unwanted, of unwantedness and not being loved, it hurt me so deep that when I was 16, I, I tried to commit suicide, um, and praise God, he had a bigger plan for me <laughs> that didn't happen. Um, but from that, um, my grandmother really nurtured me so even looking in hindsight, my, God restored that. My, me not having a mom, you know, my grandmother stepped in and she nurtured me and she became my mom and she loved me. And, and so for my high school years, I, I was good, right? Or I thought I was good. Um, out of high school, I entered into a, a very bad relationship. And um, for all the wrong reasons, I got married. Um, looking for love in all the wrong places. You guys have heard that, right? Well, that's true. <laughs> so don't do that. Um, and so that ended up in a failed marriage. So I have, like, all this baggage with me and still carrying um, a lot of uh, rejection, the feeling of rejection, abandonment, and and just now anger, too. You know, like, I I was a complete mess. Um, so I I started hanging around with the wrong crowd, even as an adult. Um, We make dumb choices, right? And this crowd was using a lot of drugs. And so I started using a lot of drugs. And at this point, I was a single mom with Freddie. And um, Freddie was uh, being taken care of by his grandparents and myself. Um, But, yeah, and in the midst of all of that, I met Gavi. And one broken person, another broken person, both addicts at that point, we got together and, well, we spiraled like really bad into years of, uh, of addiction. And, you know, in those years we got married and we had Guillermo. Um, yeah, but our, our drug use wasn't recreational where we would just use it, you know, sometimes in, on the weekends. No, it was an everyday thing. We needed drugs to live. That's it, period. That was our lives. That's who we were. And, um, and it was really hard for us um, to live that life. But, I mean, at the same time, we were just numbing ourselves. That's what we were doing. We were looking for, you know, not to feel all these things that we had gone through or whatnot in, in our past. And, and that was, you know, what we thought was our answer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. Oh. Well. <laughs> That question that's right um you're here today and you're not in puerto rico uh, you know living off of drugs what was the tipping point what were the circumstances that that led you to ultimately find your satisfaction in jesus as opposed to what you were doing
2: um after many years of using drugs um we were going for, you know, doing drugs for days without eating, without, um, you know, we, we, we spent our money just in drugs. We have nothing. We sold everything that we have in our home. We almost lost our kids. Um,
1: we lost our kids. We
2: lost our kids. Um, it was hard, you know, it was hard to see where we were. We knew we were bad. We tried to get out of our drugs for many times. On our own strength we, it wasn't possible um so at, at that point um
1: yeah so we um we were at a very 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 low point and um like Gavi said our our family stepped in and they took our kids from us so now we are kidless um and it's just two of us in, in the house i don't even know how we even had a house at that point we had nothing inside the house we had like Gabi so said, we basically sold anything we could get money for um, to satisfy our drug need. Um, and so one night, I, I, I go to bed, right, after like weeks of binging uh, on drugs. And um, and I said, oh, I'll just watch some TV. Well, there was no TV because we had sold it. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is my life. Like who thinks that when they're young, they're going to become addicts? Like, you know, you say I'm going to be a police officer. I'm going to be this. And no one says I'm going to become an addict, you know? And I just started thinking like that night and I'm like, oh my goodness, I know this is not the way I'm supposed to live. And I've tried, like Gavi said, on our own strength to stop. Like we didn't want to be drug addicts. No one wants to be, you know, no, it's an illness. It really is. And, and it's a bondage that we're in. Um, And so I, I knew there was a God. I didn't have a relationship with him. Um, I, we didn't go to church by for not for nothing. Um, and I, I prayed, I said, God, I know that this is not how I'm supposed to be living and I need you to help me. I need you to help me, God. I can't do this on my own. I need you. And that was basically my prayer, my, my cry out to God in my desperation. And the very next day, my sister who was living in Chicago at this point, um, she calls me and she says, hey, I'm going to Puerto Rico in a couple days. And I was like, what? You're coming to Puerto Rico? And I knew that she was going to know right away that we were messed up, you know, and my dad was going to know, and he, we, he didn't know anything that was happening. Um, and so she comes to Puerto Rico, and sure enough... She, right away, she starts, she takes action. She calls my dad. My dad's like, you bring your sister home. Don't come home without her, you know, and we're going to figure things out, but you need to get her out of there. And so, not willing, right, fighting and everything. I left with my sister. Gavi stood in Puerto Rico. And, um, yeah, and um, a couple months later, um, I came back. My dad said, you know, Guillermo got sick in Puerto Rico. And so my dad said, go get your family. So I, I went back to Puerto Rico, and um, Gabi came to live in Chicago with Guillo and Freddie, um, And yeah, and so now we're living in Chicago, and we're basically clean, right? But we, we still have a lot of issues that we're dealing with, um, and Guillermo... He's about four or five at this point, and he, God uses Guillermo in, in a mighty way, and, and there's so much to that story, and I would love to share it with you guys with with details, because there's so many examples of how God God used him, um, but for time's sake, right, I, I'll just give you a little snippet. Um, he was very young. He didn't know anything about church. We never went to church you know, we never spoke to him about God, yet God was drawing Guillermo to him and drawing us to him through Guillermo. He kept, uh, Guillermo kept talking about wanting to go to church and who is God and why did Jesus die for us? All these questions I had no answers to. Um, One specific night, I remember him saying to me, I was putting him to bed and he said mom you know what god wants us to go to church and i'm like okay Gio. he's like no mom mom god told me and i was like what what do you mean god told you and i'm thinking <laughs> i mean it was it, it sounds crazy and i'm like okay hold on wait and then i the first thing that came to my mind was like this kid is schizophrenic because he's hearing voices. I go, wait, is it like a voice that you hear? Is it a man's voice? Like whose voice is it? Where, how do you hear this? Is he saying other things? And he says, no, mom, I just know it in my heart that God wants us to go to church. So I had a friend, and most of you guys know who she is, Limari and, and Tony Navarro. They've been childhood friends of mine, um, and um, I, I never lost touch with Limari. At this point, Limari, she's, uh, her and her husband are pastoring a church, and so I tell her about Guillermo, off and on, we'd talk, and she'd call me to share the gospel, and I'd be like, no, I gotta go, by," And I'd hang up, literally, I would hang up on her, but she, would, she kept calling me, kept calling me. So I tell her about Guillermo, and she says, hey, Joanne, you know what, God is, draw- God is calling you guys through Guillermo. So years later I I paid no mind to that. Years later we had a birthday party for Anthony, my my third boy, and she comes to the birthday party and I said to Guillermo, guess what? That girl who knows Jesus, she's here. Go talk to her.
2: (laughs) True story, true story. That's
1: a true story. So Guillermo goes up to Limari, and he's like, do you know Jesus? And so she starts answering all his questions, and she says to him, how embarrassing. She goes, do you have a Bible? And he said, yeah. So he goes and he grabs these papers that he, because he always asked me for a Bible, and we never bought him one. And so he was making his own little Bible (laughs) with the stories that he knew, um, you know, the books that we had bought him because he asked for them. Um, And so then he says, Mom, promise me you're going to take me to church. And I said, okay, I will. So I did. I took him to church, and we I had never been to a church. Um, you know, I, I went to a Catholic, you know, church here and there, but never to, you know, a Christian church, you know, an evangelical church. So uh, I walk in, and I felt like, oh, this is weird. This is so out of place. Like, I, I don't even know what to think of it. But Guillermo, he's like all oh, happy, and, you know, and I'm like, okay. So as soon as service finished, I left. And... Um, two weeks later, I made excuses every Sunday not to take him back. And, um, two weeks later he started crying. He said, mom, but you promised you were going to bring me, you were going to take me back to church. And at that point I I already had felt God like tugging at my heart. You know, he was already at work. God's never, he's always working always, even when you don't realize it. he's working. So, so I take him back and, um, When I walked in, there was a different feeling that I got. I I wasn't, like, I didn't feel a lot of place. I I, I felt peaceful. I walk in, I sit down, and the worship starts. And the first song was Came to My Rescue. And we sing that song here at the Brook all the time. And the lyrics that got to me was, um, I called, you answered, and you came to my rescue. And I promise you, it was like a screenshot. God had just deposited in my mind and I remember praying in my bedroom that night and I said God I need you to help me and he he answered me and I'm thinking like oh my goodness wait God, you're real. Like, are you for real right now? I couldn't even believe it. Like what I was feeling cuz I had never felt that. And and it was just all connecting and he rescued me and I'm like he rescued me from where I was. Yes. Yes. And then I'm thinking is this what Guillermo says he he hears like God speaking? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of all of this when the next song comes on and it was a uh, You Have Won Me and the lyric says, "Jesus, you have you have broken you have won me. You have broken every chain with love and mercy." And I'm like, "Chain?" Wait, that's a drug, drugs were a chain to us mm-hmm. and Jesus you broke that. And then my goodness, I was a mess. <laughs> I was like <sighs> I said, "Oh, I'm not going to cry, but I couldn't help it. I was so overwhelmed. And then I thought, "Oh my goodness, God, you don't reject me. Like, you know me. You don't, as a matter of fact, God, you've pursued me my entire life. Like, I think back, like, my sister, all, that's no coincidence. That was all God. That was all God. And so that day, I said to myself, I am going to follow you, God. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, to wherever you want me to go. And God began to do a deep, deep work in my life very radical, very drastic work.
2: Amen. So, after Joanna started going to church, um, I was not going. You know, I was like, she's going through a phase. You know, she's going to go to church for a couple months, and that's it. Um, But she kept going, and I can see her changing. And I was like, man, I want some of that. But my pride, you know, I'm not going to church. You know? Um, She invited the Navarros one night um, at at the house for dinner. And at the end of the dinner, um, they... Pastor invite me to, to service and I can say no to the pastor. <laughs> like, oh man! So I can say no to her, but not to the pastor. So I went. Um, I, I felt like the very first day. I feel welcoming. I felt um, something different. I felt like you know I was welcomed over there. Not just by the people. Just feel like welcoming. I felt like um, something was going on. So uh, um, after a couple of weeks, we, they had a, a prayer night. And a couple of men came over and started praying for me, and, and I felt the Holy Spirit, and I surrendered my life to Christ that night. I,
0: I know we've got to wrap this up. My I goodness. I, no, I want to I keep talking. Like, um Brief, maybe one statement, what has Jesus meant to you since the time you 've surrendered your life to him
1: so um, um, I, I lived with many years of regret and shame, and um, just uh, because you know we we lost so many years of time with our kids, but Um, what I don't regret is that Jesus met me in that despair and he extended his hand of grace and love and forgiveness and when I understood the gospel when I embraced the gospel I said oh my gosh I can walk in freedom from all of that the feeling of rejection God had filled that all you know And, and God is a God of restoration he has restored like I don't know where we would be right now if we would even have Anthony with us because you know but God has restored he didn't give us those years but he gave us much more than that he gave us more moments with our kids and a restored relationship, even with us. But God is still in the works of meeting us where we're at and loving on us,
2: amen. amen. Um, family, you know, I still a mess, I still a mess, um, but now I have somebody that I know that I met years before that I can go when I feel a mess, and that. Person is Jesus. Every time I feel a mess, I pray to Jesus to help me and get me through, you know, mess, problems, and desires, um, self-control. He changed my heart. I was a very angry person, and he made me a better man, a man who can love people and can um, encourage, can um, forgive other people. Um, he just restored me, you know. I, I don't know, like Joanna said, um, where, where were we right now? But from having nothing, to be right here, breaking my fear. I'm, I'm so <laughs> fear right now of being speaking in front of people. And he's still breaking my fears. Yeah. And bring me up here and get me through this. And he never, never, never has forsaken me.
0: Praise God. Yeah. Let's dance to our feet. Come on. Praise God. God is in the business of encountering people. I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up as our brothers and sisters, Gabby, Joanne, thank you so much for the courage to be vulnerable in front of over 100 people here, but knowing that there's some of us who feel the same way that they once felt or do feel, right? And we've got a story to tell. Some of us need a redemptive story to receive. It all comes through faith in Jesus. I want to pray, and then we're going to close out in a song of praise and worship. I'm going to invite our prayer team forward. Um, prayer team, would you make your way to the right and left of the stage? Family, if God's moving in your heart, and you say, man, I, I need to encounter this Jesus you're talking about. I'm feeling grief or doubt or regret. I feel like a mess. I feel like I can't do this. Well, the good news is there's someone who can, and his name is Jesus, and you can turn to him today today let's pray father in heaven um, I pray that we would shout out our praise to you Lord, finding our hope in you the God who is still in the business of appearing to people when whatever they're going through so Lord I pray you'd meet us even now here in this room and God may our praise go up to you God I pray for the one or two people who don't know you today I pray for the gift of faith God for the act of repentance that they will turn away father from all that they've been thrown into and turn to you today confessing their sins and living for you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.